0: I wonder what our response is to the world as we see it. We watch the evening news. We see the tragedy in the Ukraine. I saw pictures of children that were airlifted off of that mountainside in Iraq with horror on their faces, crying because their parents were left behind as they were being ushered off into safety. I saw the squalor of the makeshift communities that these people are being taken to. I watched the tributes that were given to a famous entertainer that decided that life was not worth worth living any longer and committed suicide. Then I'm aware of family members with diseases, marital problems, financial woes, and a host of other hardships. So what should our response be to all of that? We desire to have a Christian worldview, but what is a Christian worldview? Why'd submit to you it is viewing? the world, the way in in which Christ does. And certainly that is a multifaceted topic. But this morning, I want to focus on one particular aspect of Christ's view of the world. When he looked at the crowds of people that gathered around him, what did he see? And what was he moved to express? Our passage tells us in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He had compassion for them. That's a key thought in the book of Matthew. It's repeated. It is given again with the feeding of the 5,000. It says that he was moved with compassion for them. It is an ongoing theme in the book. Jesus was moved with compassion. He pitied them. He had sympathy sympathy for them. He felt their pain, as it were. So this morning, I want us to look at some lessons concerning Christ's compassion. Lessons concerning Christ's Compassion. First, the reason for his compassion. The reason for his compassion. Jesus saw the needy position that the people were in. Notice verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Here's the reason because they were harassed and helpless. Because they were harassed and helpless. Their condition is described as being distressed. That's how the NAS translates it. ESV says that they were harassed. The word means to be troubled, tormented, oppressed, abused. They had all kinds of miseries and heartaches that Jesus had been addressing. He had healed them of blindness, issues of blood, palsy. He had raised the dead. He had cast out demons. He had interacted with the Pharisees in trying to deliver the people from their oppression. And he had compassion on them as he saw them as a distressed people. Secondly, they're described as helpless helpless. They were defenseless. They were unable to deliver themselves. They could not save themselves. They could not bring an end to their own misery and heartache. That's something I think that that we really need to center our thoughts on in our viewing of the world the helpless, hopeless situation that people find themselves in. The reason to be hopeless is well substantiated because people on their own strength are in fact helpless. There are things over which we have no control. Our world wants to teach us that if you are a responsible human being, if you just take responsibility for yourself, then you're not gonna face problems. If you work hard, you'll always have a job. If you eat right, you're always gonna be healthy. If you do the right things, you're always gonna be rewarded. I'm here to tell you that's not true. That just isn't true. Is it good to be responsible? Of course it is. Should we try to work hard? Yes. Hardworking people lose jobs. Should we eat right? Of course we should. Should we be concerned about our diet? Yes. But people who have lived a healthy lifestyle eventually die. It's inevitable. Jesus looked at these people as helpless. I believe that's how we should look at our world, as helpless. And then here's the reason for their helplessness. Notice verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were distressed They were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. The shepherd motif is huge in the scriptures. Uh, We don't live in that same kind of agrarian society as what they did. So this may not mean as much to us, but the shepherd motif, again, is strong. They needed a shepherd. A shepherd occupied many roles in caring for the sheep. The shepherd would protect them, deliver them, provide for them, care for them, lead them, guide them, feed them, on and on. The shepherd met all the needs of the sheep. He looked at these crowds and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. There was no one to care for them. There was no one to help them. There should have been. There should have been. The leaders of Israel were to be the shepherds. The priests, the Pharisees, the scribes were to be the shepherds. In Ezekiel chapter 34... the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. This describes the Pharisees in Jesus' day. All that Jesus tried to do in helping these people, they stood in adversity in, 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 as an adversary against him. In the section just before us, when he cast out demons, they said he does it, by the prince of demons. He does it by Beelzebub. They found fault when he raised from the dead. They found fault when he healed their diseases. They found fault when Jesus taught them and instructed them. But he had compassion on the people because they did not have the kind of shepherds that they should have had. Ezekiel 34, 6, My sheep were scattered, they were wandered, over all the mountains, on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with no one to search or seek for them. Crowds were coming out to Jesus because they were wandering aimlessly. But we find out Jesus will be that shepherd. Ezekiel 34, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. That continues in the theme of the New Testament where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. He came to heal. He came to restore. Jesus is, of course, that Good Shepherd. It speaks to all the ways that Jesus had ministered to the people. Look at the verse previous. Uh, Matthew 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. There was a threefold ministry, That Jesus engaged in. Teaching, preaching, and uh, healing. Teaching, preaching, and healing. What is it that we see in the crowds of people around us? What is our response to individuals? Do we have... Compassion, or do we have a sense of detest? Do we see them as helpless, or do we just see them as irresponsible? Do we see them as harassed and miserable, or getting what they deserve? I thought about Robin Williams this week. It was interesting reading the different accounts as to what people thought drove Robin Williams to commit suicide. The one that was most often mentioned in the stuff that I read was his depression, that he had suffered from depression for many, many years and been on all kinds of medications, etc., had just come out of a clinic. In which he was supposedly have just a maintenance and was doing better with his depression. Some spoke of other areas of his life where there were needs. Evidently, he had some big financial woes. Uh, one friend said that he was about to uh, declare bankruptcy, he had a $37 million ranch that was up for sale because he couldn't support it any others, uh, any any longer. Some said it was because of his career. He was greatly distressed over the fact that his television show this past year was canceled, wasn't renewed uh, by reports. He didn't even want to take the show, but because of the financial straits he was in, uh, he was forced to go back to television and pick up that show, but he thought from the start, that it was gonna be a failure. Uh, he didn't have a, any confidence at all in its writers or in its plot, and sure enough, it was a big flop. Some said that he couldn't handle that, uh, that kind of failure. His third wife said that he had just been diagnosed with a Parkinson's disease, and that uh, he had not yet made that public, but he was wrestling with with Parkinson's. Was it Parkinson's? Was it finances? Was it depression? Was it pride? It's probably all those things. Probably all those things. But who would have looked at Robin Williams and thought... Number one, that he was going to have to declare bankruptcy. You look at him and you think of all the roles that he starred in, all the movies that he did. If anybody should have been financially well off, one would say, well, that's got to be Robin Williams. Yet, close to bankruptcy. If anybody should have been happy, and here was the clown, here was the great comedian, here was the person who could put a twist on any situation and make it funny. If anybody should be happy, one might think it's Robin Williams, and here he is depressed. Here he is diseased. Certainly he could be described as harassed. But More importantly, he was helpless. He was helpless. What drove him to commit suicide? He was hopeless. He saw no answer to any of those heartaches. No deliverance. No way out. And so he decided to hang himself. That is just a small picture of what's going on in a much larger way in our society. We are surrounded by people that are hopeless. But see, the future is only bleak. Who suffer quietly and see no way out. And the reason is, is they're sheep without a shepherd. There's no one to lead them, direct them, guide them, protect them, watch over them. They don't have a personal saving relationship to Jesus Christ. It makes all the world a difference. And so Jesus has compassion on them, on people that have nowhere to go, no place to turn but to Him. The Pharisees, when they look on the crowd, they do not have compassion, they are not moved. They do not lift their finger at all, Jesus says, to try to alleviate their pain, their suffering. They stand in the way of their coming to Jesus, and they find fault when he does. So, Jesus now addresses the need for compassion to his disciples. Notice Matthew 9.37. Then he said to his disciples, We are in a portion of scripture in which there is going to be a transition in Jesus' ministry. Our text is a text that is leading us to transition. It is a bookmark, if you will. Uh, Keep your finger here, but before you do, look at Matthew 9.35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Keep your finger there and turn back with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. You see, Matthew 4.23 is Matthew 9.35 verbatim. Matthew 4.23 is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. He, he Prior to that, in Matthew 3, he's been baptized. Then he experiences the temptation in the wilderness. And coming out of that temptation in the wilderness, now he begins his public ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, is an introduction to his public ministry and what he's doing. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, we have a summation of that public ministry. We have a review of what Jesus is doing. So he's teaching. In Matthew chapter five, six and seven, we have Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew five one opens with these words. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountains, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Teach them. The second is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so, he's proclaiming the the kingdom. He proclaimed that unless their righteousness exceeded the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, they would no case enter the kingdom of heaven. He taught the blessedness of those who were a part of the kingdom. He proclaimed the Lord's Prayer and taught how one should pray, and that they ought to pray for the kingdom to come. He taught them the priority of the kingdom, That is, they were to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto them. And then he proclaimed that they should base their lives on the teaching and principles of the kingdom. Lest the storms of life come and destroy them. Then, in chapters 8 and 9, we have the healing ministry of Jesus. We have all those Afflictions that he is removing. So we have this summary verse. But up until this point, the disciples have been following Jesus and observing Jesus' ministry and being taught by Jesus. Now comes the transition. Now Jesus is going to be sending the disciples out on their own to come back to Jesus from time to time. It's a transitional point in the book of Matthew. Why is that? B. The need is great. Matthew 9:37. Then he said to his disciples, "The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few." Now the metaphor changes. It moves from sheep and shepherd to field and harvest. The harvest is large meaning that there is a great work to be done. There are many more cities and villages to be visited. Jesus, to this point, had been confined pretty much to Galilee. There were many, many more people to reach. If that were to happen, it meant that it was going to be more than just Jesus to do this. The workers are few, he says, in comparison to the great need. It's going to take more people to reach the towns and the villages than what Jesus is able to do. So, laborers are needed. So, what is the solution? How is the need to be met? Where are the laborers to come from? The solution is a surprising one. Verse 38, Therefore, Because the labors are few, therefore, pray. Pray. Our duty, with respect to the world's great need, is to pray. To pray. As Matthew Henry says, we should pray more and complain and fear less. Pray. Then it says in the ESV, pray earnestly. The word is to plead or beg, plead or beg, to get down on your knees and beg. But notice who we are to implore. Verse 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. He doesn't say to the disciples, plead and beg with people to go. You won't find a verse in the scripture that says plead and beg with people to go. But I can't tell you how many sermons I've sat through that plead and beg with people to go. We're back to a Christian worldview. We're back to looking at things from Christ's perspective as opposed to the world's perspective. About how he does things as opposed to the way that the world does things. The world, of course, seeks volunteers. The world, of course, tries to guilt people into doing things. The world, of course, centers upon mankind and and their involvements. But notice what it says. What it says. Verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. If you mark your Bible, I encourage you to circle the word send out. Send out laborers. And if you're using a... uh, ESV, Bible this morning, it's easy because uh, chapter 10 verse 1 uh, is um, in your same page but uh, circle to send out and go to Matthew 10 verse 1 he called in the 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and circle cast out it's the same word It's also the same word that's used just previous to this, where Jesus casts out demons. In fact, it's almost always used in association with Jesus casting out demons. And here he says, he uses that word to cast out laborers. It means to exercise authority over It causes one to do what they would not normally of themselves desire to do. Demons don't want to be cast out. And fallen mankind doesn't want to go. If we're going to have a spirit of compassion like we should, it requires a work of God's grace. It requires an impartation of his spirit if we are really going to think and act and be like Jesus. It requires a work of the Holy Spirit. And so they are to pray. To the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is the Lord's. It belongs to him. He oversees it. He directs it. It is the Lord's work to send out laborers. That's why I wanted us to continue on to chapter 10. Because so often we just make chapters break and lose the continuity, lose the flow. In chapter 10, the prayers are answered. Jesus furnishes the laborers. And notice what he does. First, Jesus calls the laborers. Matthew 10, verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples. He summoned them, his 12 disciples. In the preceding verse, where Jesus with his disciples presumably That's more than the twelve. Probably included the twelve, but was larger than the twelve when he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers, people that are with him. And he's saying to them, pray that laborers would be cast out. That people would be thrown into this great work that God would supply shepherds for these sheep labors for this harvest. Pray for these people to be cast out. Now, Jesus calls the twelve. He called them by name. Notice Matthew ten two and 3. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. He was part of the mix. That was no mistake. That was no mistake. Elsewhere in John, it makes it very clear that he chose Judas knowing that he would betray him. It all served a part of God's purpose and will of which no one could have known and no one would have understood and no one would have devised. But a sovereign God who sends out his people to accomplish his purpose will bring about his harvest. Secondly, Jesus empowers the laborers. Notice Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. He called to them the 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. He empowered them. That's one reason why they had to pray for the Lord of the harvest, to cast them out and not just look for volunteers. Because not only did they need to be called, but they needed to be empowered. They needed to be enabled. They needed to be able to perform the work that he was calling them to do. God not only calls, he also equips I personally think that one of the reasons the church is so anemic today is that there are so many people that are serving that aren't called. And I know in the day and age in which we live that that almost sounds radical. But if you're not called, you're not empowered. we're losing sight of God's call. We're losing sight of God's intervention in the life of an individual that says, I want you to serve me. We're making it generic. Rather than praying that God would thrust people out that are equipped and enabled and empowered, we're taking these matters into our own hands. Jesus empowers the laborers. Next, Jesus sends out the laborers. Verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out. Now, different word. Different word. Jesus sent out. The term apostle literally means sent one. It comes from this, this word. When it says apostle, just think of sent one. That's that's what they were. They were sent ones. And that's what the term means. And he sent them out. And he sent them out with his curious instruction. That is, he directs where they are to go. First, he tells them where not to go. Verse 5. These twelve, Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Wow. Doesn't that seem odd? Aren't there people there that need Jesus? Aren't there people there that have diseases? Aren't there people there that don't have a shepherd? Aren't there people there that are needy? He says, don't go there. And then, secondly, he says, verse 6 but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's a temporary situation, to be sure. At the end of Matthew, they are to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. In Acts, it's Judea, Samaria, and on the uttermost parts of the earth. But also, in the midst of that, in the book of Acts, it's the Apostle Paul, and the spirit of God comes upon him and says. He has a vision. The Macedonian call. The Macedonian says, come over to us. And he goes to Macedonia. Then he goes to Corinth. And there at Corinth, he runs in all kinds of troubles. And he has a vision. And God says to him, Paul, I have many people in this city. The harvest is great. They hadn't been harvested yet hadn 't seen them yet, but Paul said, But God said, I have many people in this city. Stay there, minister, labor. There is a fine balance in our Christian lives between human responsibility and god 's sovereignty. I understand that, and we have to be careful that we Don't swing the pendulum too far. I'm going to take the risk of swinging the pendulum too far on the side of God's sovereignty because I think we have been swinging it too far on the side of human responsibility. We talk a lot about strategizing for reaching the lost, about where to send people and have them to go. I wonder if we shouldn't pray more about God leading and directing people to a place. I personally believe that the spirit of God moves people to go and to be at certain places. I believe I am here Because I believe that's where God wants me to be. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, the answer to that is myriad. I'd sit around and talk to you for a couple hours about how I know that to be true. But I I remember our brother Bill Mole. Now, that's a name from the past, Uh, he's dead and gone. But how many people remember that name? Bill Mole. Wonderful guy, great missionary. And every time I would see him, literally every time, it seemed he must have said this to me 40 times, he'd say, Cal, you need to be teaching in a seminary in Africa. That's where the need is. You have the gifts, you have the abilities, you need to go to Africa and... Teach in a seminary. You can equip all these men, they could go be out preaching the word. You are wasting your time. That's what he told me. You are wasting your time. Anybody could pastor the Lebanon Bible Fellowship Church. You need to go to Africa. I love my brother. I don't want to defame him, he's dead and gone. But it was just so striking to me on two levels. Number one, I don't think that's where God wanted me. And if God doesn't want me there, I can guarantee you I won't be effective. It's not about natural abilities and gifts. It's about an endowment. It's about an infusement of a spirit. It's about what he does. If there is any benefit at all, for my preaching and teaching, it's because the Spirit of God is working. It's not any human abilities or acumen or understanding or any of those things. It's the Spirit of God. Which brings me to a close second. Therefore, I don't think anybody could pastor this church. It's Not anything unique about me. It's the will of God for now. And at some point, it won't be the will of God for me to be here anymore. And somebody else will be here. And they will do just fine. Because it's not about people, it's about the will of God. But do we believe that? Do we really believe that God directs people? God leads people? If he does, we shouldn't stand in their way. And if he does, we shouldn't redirect them. For he is the Lord of the harvest. One thing that I hear people say often when it comes to election and sharing the gospel, how do we know who the elect are? Answer, we don't. We don't. So who should we go to? Answer, we should go to everybody. That is very true. But let me ask you another question. Who does know who the elect are? Does God? And might he just direct his people to share with his elect that good news of the gospel? Why did he tell Paul to go to Macedonia? Because I have many people there. God leads us the people. I think we need to be sensitive. I think we need to pray. Ask God to direct us. Uh, I'm now I'm going into where I'm going to be next week, because I'm going to be in this passage in chapter 10. But uh, he instructs the laborers. That comes in verse 5. Jesus sent them out, instructed them. I'll look at the instructions next week. Next week. So, Conclusion. How do we view the people of this world? Do we view them with compassion? Do we view them as distressed, helpless, excuse me, distressed and filled with heartache and misery and turmoil and anguish? And most importantly, do we view them as helpless? Do we believe that they need a shepherd? But that's the answer. They need a shepherd. And do we understand what a great task that is to shepherd the peoples of this world? What a large task that is. What an important task that is. He taught, he preached, he healed. We need to pray that the Lord of the harvest would throw out, cast out laborers into his harvest. Pray that God would raise up More and more people to be engaged in this great work of shepherding people. And again, let me be quite blunt here. It's more than just preaching. You can preach to millions, but you can't shepherd millions. You can broadcast your voice around the globe. But you can't reach out and touch people from a distance. And you can't really minister to all their needs and all their heartaches from a distance. That means it takes an awful lot of people. He says the harvest is great. The laborers are few. So don't go home and try to make somebody feel guilty, or don't go home and feel guilty yourself. Go home and pray that God would cast out laborers. And I think probably to the surprise of the 12 that they were part of the answer to the prayer. And we might be surprised that we just might be the answer to that prayer, or our children might be the answer to that prayer, Or our grandchildren might be the answer to that prayer. Or our best friend might be the answer to that prayer. But we should be praying. God, cast out laborers into your harvest. And Jesus will do the work. He is the Lord of the harvest. He will call people. He will empower people. He will direct people. He will provide for the people. We'll see all that next week. My thought to you this morning is, let us be compassionate. As you watch the news, as you encounter your neighbors and friends, allow yourself to be touched, first of all by their pain and by their grief. Secondly, identify with their hopelessness. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. Understand that hopelessness is wrapped up in the fact that people don't have a shepherd. So pray that more people would have more shepherds and be brought to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, Help us to be a people who indeed have compassion. And, O oh Lord, help us to have confidence in you. Believe that we can trust in you. Believe that you are, in fact, the Lord of the harvest. You are the head of the church. And, O oh Lord, help us to see that there is a human responsibility. And as you have placed it upon us, it's to pray and is to rely upon you and is to ask for you to cast out laborers and to direct those laborers into your fields and to do your will and to bring in your harvest. So, O Lord, this morning I simply pray, raise up from our midst people who desire to be laborers in your harvest. In whatever capacity that is, wherever you direct them, wherever you empower them, wherever you enable them, O Lord, cast people out. Overcome our reticence, our unwillingness, our fears, our self-centeredness, our lack of concern for others. And O Lord, even as you cast out demons, cast us out out. Cast out those that you call. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.